Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Alongside my co-host and friend Corbin Ford, I am Garrett Bougay, and the two of us have a, uh, a very fun episode to bring you today as uh, we're going to be breaking the teams down into tiers. This will be our first tiers uh, episode since, uh, since uh, before the bubble. We did a 22-team tier episode uh, before the teams entered Orlando. But uh, now we're gonna do a a, a thirty team version, and we've got uh, we've got them split up into five categories. Uh, the first category being title favorites. Then we've got title contenders. You know, teams that we think could potentially win it all. Then we've got dangerous playoff teams. Teams that uh, you know could win a round or two. Uh, the fourth tier we've got playoff or play in hopefuls. And then the final tier are the teams that uh, we think are lottery bound. That uh, we're basically uh, committing to uh, saying that they're not going to to be in postseason contention. So, Corbin, let's start with these lottery teams and work our way up. And uh, I have six teams that uh, I officially have uh, declared are going to miss the playoffs. How many teams do you have in this uh, category? All right, so I have six as well. Okay, so let's see if we've got the same six. I'll, uh, all right, let's get it. I'll, I'll run through the, the teams that I have in here. I've got the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Washington Wizards, the Orlando Magic, and the Detroit Pistons. That is the exact same. Thunder, Wolves, Wizards, Pistons, Magic, and Cats. Okay, so uh, we, we did not share our list, so this is, uh, this is all going to come as a surprise to us, as it will to you listening. But uh, yeah, let's, let's just uh, break down these teams a little bit. I mean, as... Let's start with the Cavs because they, they, of course, got off to this really fascinating start. They were in the East playoff picture early on. And, and for a while there, Corbin, they had a top five defense in the NBA. 
but, uh, you know, now their defense has dropped all the way to 24th, and a big part of that was the loss of a guy who was really having an all-defensive level uh, season in Larry Nance Jr. Oh, yeah, it's obviously been brutal to them because they were playing, like you said, they had a bunch of really cool um, wins over some tough teams, and you look at that and you're like, okay, you know, they, they, they're turning a corner, you kind of see this young development team, you see the development of Colin Sexton really come to his own, this is really just super a score, and, you know, they had enough defensive uh, ability that you're like, wow, this is this is not bad, but then, yeah, ever since he kind of went down, they've just fallen off, like, it's like the the tr- the, the, tr- the tracks are falling off the train, <laughs> like, ahead of him, they've just kind of gone into a tailspin, and it's crazy, I mean, Larry Nesson is a very good player, like, in his own right, but the loss of that one guy just seems to have knocked them off, off center. Yeah, you know, I J.B. Bickerstaff had them playing sort of like a matchup zone, and him playing at the four, he's got very active hands, he's a good steals guy, he's also a good secondary rim protector, just a smart, uh, a smart basketball player. So yeah, he was doing a lot for that team. Uh, and then obviously, you know, with uh, the recent news with uh, Andre Drummond now on the trade block, uh, it seemed seemingly he was he was starting to uh, you know be be unhappy with his situation. Maybe that was due to the them acquiring Jared Allen in that trade with Brooklyn. But uh, you know now he is uh, he is sitting out and uh, he is uh, presumably going to be on another team in the near future. Yeah, and that's gonna be interesting to see kind of how that it fits in with the rest of. Um, I mean, that's a totally different conversation of itself. Like, where does Drummond go? Whether you do agree to a buyout, whether you do trade him, and, and if so, for what? I mean, there's a lot there to kind of unpack. But yeah, I would imagine that, you know, he wasn't going to be a happy camper when that happened. Uh, presumably, I guess he saw himself as the starting five for this team moving forward. I don't know. I'm not willing to, to kind of go ahead on that on that note. But um, by the same token, yeah, you, you have that weirdness. And mind you, Jared Allen um, should be the starter. I mean, long-term-wise, he's a much better fit in terms of where the Cavs are ultimately going, not just in terms of age, but let's be real, also play style. Um, you know, there's, if there's one thing we know about Andre Drummond, uh, he definitely has um, a supersized version of his offensive skill set than many would believe. You know, I think that's the best way of putting it. And it just ultimately wasn't going to be a long-term fit. So it's kind of weird that this is, of course, the time where you have these injuries, uh, you know, that to, that to Nance, you have this kind of dissension bubbling underneath in regards to Andre Drummond and what's going on there, and yeah, I think the Cavs have, you know, they, they had flashes. They, I think they've shown what they can do. It almost reminds me of the Grizzlies in the second half of last year, where, you know, they kind of outperformed themselves. No, mind you, the Grizzlies did it for half the season, whereas the Cavs did it for about a month. But you can kind of see, okay, the realized version of us, we're much better than this, but, like, as of right now, this is where we're at. Absolutely. So the two teams for me, I'm not sure if you agree with this or not, but the two teams for me that were the toughest sort of to to put into this group, I had considered uh, putting them elsewhere would be the uh, the the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Orlando Magic. Now the Magic just have been ravaged by injuries with uh, with Jonathan Isaac, of course, out. Uh, Markel Fultz out. So they've They've gone a while without Evan Fournier. It's really been Nikola Vucevic and a bunch of scrubs, essentially, for this team. Uh, but, uh, you know, Steve Clifford still has them, you know, playing respectable basketball. But uh, 
I, I have a hard time seeing them, especially on the offensive end, really getting it done. Right now they're 28th in the NBA on that end of the floor. And then the, the Oklahoma City Thunder were a team that, you know, right now they're 11th in the NBA in defense. They're, they're right there in playoff contention. But just given, you know, the, the trajectory of that team, the youth of that team, they've got a ton of draft picks. I know they're, they're trying to build for the future. I, I just can't see them for the entire length of the season hanging in there in the playoff hunt. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not going to lie, it wasn't as hard, uh, only because, uh, I mean, the Magic, and, and this is the thing, when you have a Steve Clifford coach team, you're going to be competitive. He's, he's fielded more competitive units in the past, uh, uh, both, you know, with the, the, the Magic, but also with Charlotte before, like, in terms of bringing guys to the table that, regardless of talent level, will outperform. Uh, with that being said, yeah, it's just too much against them. I mean, the loss of Markel Fultz is enough, uh, and then now you, you've just had more and more, like you said, Nikola Vucevic and, and a revolving door of who's who of who's not uh, for the <laughs> Magic. And it, it doesn't make it any better that, you know, you had uh, you, the rookie that you brought in that was coming, taking some of the helmet, kind of going through his growing pains, but he had a game-winning shot for them, had some decent play. Cole Anthony, he's now also out. And so at this point, you're, you're with the shot of a roster where you're kind of going through minimum – you know, that minimum point guards, and yeah, it's just, there's just too much against them, in my opinion. Uh, you don't have a consistent go-to guy outside of Vucevic for shot creation. Evan Fournier's been okay, and it, yeah, there's just not enough there night to night. I mean, and again, credit to Nikola Vucevic. He has been putting on a show for the Magic and playing really, really well, but uh, that's, that's really it. You're not getting a lot of resistance aside from that, and that's a problem. And yeah, this is. I don't think the Magic have the collective wherewithal to kind of climb back out of the hole that they're slumping into. And granted, they're still going to be a tough out. You're not going to want to play it, but at the end of the day, now it's an out, and that's what the Magic are, in my opinion. Um, as far as the Thunder, again, the Thunder in a very similar situation. Like, it wasn't hard for me to put them in these positions, because at the end of the day, I just think, hey, they're a scrappy team. They're a team you don't want to run into. Intangible-wise, like, that's cool. They're going to give you a fight every night, but more than likely, they're going to end on the wrong side of that fight. And when I look at a team like the Thunder, I mean, they've been outperforming. They've had some really good wins. If you look at their record right now, they aren't horrible in the slightest, but they sit where they sit, and I don't see that changing. I don't see them going on a run um, and climbing out of that spot. And I, I mean, it really remains to be seen what they do at the trade deadline with some of these guys, like um, obviously Al Horford or a guy like a George Hill, uh, and seeing whether a buyout is something that happens. I don't know if a trade, whatever the case may be, but they might move some of these vets. And if so, then yeah, they might still be just as scrappy, but they definitely will be climbing out of that uh, bottom spot of the West. Yeah, that's a good point, that the Thunder are likely going to be sellers, which will, will hamper their ability to get wins. And yeah, as far as the Magic are concerned, it's not as much my optimism for Orlando, just the bottom of the East is so terrible right now. You know, Orlando sitting in the 12 spot, just one and a half games from that 10 seed, which would get you into the play-in. They're only three and a half out of the six seed in the East. That's how bad the Eastern Conference has been so far. The Knicks are sitting in the in the sixth spot with a 14 and 15 record right now. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, those are a couple of teams that are likely going to be, uh, you know, getting the, the ping pong balls come the offseason. Uh, so... Corbin, out of the, the rest of the couple of teams, we, we still haven't discussed uh, Washington or Detroit. Uh, what, what do you find interesting at all about those teams? I mean, Washington has an all-star backcourt play, and I think at the end of the day, when you look at that, you have to take it into consideration. Okay, 
says Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal, I mean, he's deserving of an all-star status, which, in my opinion, I mean, is something what he did last year. Like, he's done so much for that team, which, let's be real. I mean, you can put him on Russell Westbrook, and yes, he hasn't had a great season. Statistically, the numbers are great. Uh, they look decent. Uh, Shooting-wise, we know we are. He's definitely slipped a little bit. Now, whether that is due to that, that quad injury he's been battling with, whether that is the fact that he's 32, playing the style of play that was going to end up more or less like we're seeing, I mean, that remains to be seen. I'm definitely not going to put off of this first kind of weird stretch of the year. But bottom line, it's not the West, Russell Westbrook that the Magic, I mean, the Wizards thought they were getting. Uh, and I, I don't think it's the Westbrook that, he, you know, Westbrook would envision me playing. So a lot of pressure has been put on Bradley Beal. And you're playing with a revolving door of non-shooters, bad defenders, uh, ill-placed matchups, and it's been rough. And so, you know, he's doing all he can, uh, at least on the offensive end, uh, to kind of short up a spot there. But I just don't think they have the horses in other areas. I mean, the Thomas Bryant loss was real for this Washington Wizards team. Now, mind you, defensively, again, it was weakness for him, but having another guy offensively that could take some pressure off with the pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop, another weapon that the Wizards could use, it's, it's been rough. I mean, Alex Lynn has performed capably uh, alongside, um, obviously, a guy like a Robin Lopez, but, I mean, that's not a great center play, you know, considering that that's, that's half-decent C-plus center play. And then you have these lineups where you're not getting a lot of shooting. You know, Danny Ivey just still trying to figure out his shot. Ron Neto's probably your next next great shooter, especially when you're thinking about your two-way guy, Garrison Matthews. Aside from that, you're playing lineups with Russell Westbrook and Ish Smith, which, I mean, I love Russ, but yuck, that's not a good lineup, you know. Uh, Troy Brown Jr.'s gotten minutes in and out. He's been in and out of the rotation. Jerome Robinson, guys have just been in and out, and it, it's, it's been reflective on their record. The only constant that we've seen so far is the way that Bradley Beal has played, and I mean, 33 points a game, five rebounds, four assists, but it's not even that. He's been pretty darn efficient considering he's taking you know, most of the shots by far. I mean, it's him and Westbrook. Um, Bradley Beal, 24 shots a game attempt, and then Russell Westbrook at 18, and one shooting 47%, 34 for three, and the other guy, not that bad, 40%, 30, but that's, that's bad. Um, <laughs> it, it, I just found a whole lot of nothing about the Wizards, but, like, it's really Beal and, and who else right now? And that's the issue for them. Yeah, Beal, uh, you, you, you mentioned him shooting, you know, a, you know, a disappointing 34% from downtown, but he's he's at 50% from the mid-range, and he takes a ton of shots from that area, and they're not all... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not, uh, they're not uh, easy looks there a lot of times, so uh, really impressive from the mid-range, and yeah, you would expect him maybe to even build up that three-point percentage, although, you know, he's been a little bit lower than you would want the last couple of seasons from there. But, uh, yeah, you know, the Wizards sitting at the 22nd offense, 26th defense. I don't see, you know, a lot of hope on either end of the floor right now. Uh, as far as the Pistons, kind of in the same boat, 23rd offense, 22nd defense. You know, they've had a surprise, really good season so far from Jeremy Grant. But, uh, you know, outside of that, there's, um, you know, Blake Griffin apparently on the trade block as well, along with Andre Drummond for the Cavs. Uh, but but outside of that, you know, their their rookie Killian Hayes has been hurt. Uh, not not a lot to get excited about as a Pistons fan. Yeah, and it's, like you said, this is not a lot that you look at and you're like, oh, great, you know, this is good for them. And then it's a problem. And, I mean, honestly, there's a lot to look for. I mean, you got to look at what's going to happen with um, Blake Griffin and how that's going to resolve itself, how the situation is going to resolve itself. Um, but, yeah, uh, you can look at the great players that he played. That's a big bang player of the week. week That's eight. true. Yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah, he's having a nice rookie year. Yeah, he's been solid. But like you said, little else. Killian Hayes uh, disappointed mightily in the 
know, and that's what they kind of did by bringing in or, or talking to Blake Griffin, I guess, and coming to the arrangement that they have, trying to figure out what to do with him. You embrace the youth movement, you, you know, gather another guy in the lottery, and see where you can go from here if you're Detroit. But yeah, like you said, it's those two teams between Washington and Detroit is kind of plain and simple. They don't have a lot of great NBA caliber guys um, outside of one or two, and for the Wizards, Bradley Beal, and for the Pistons, Jeremy Grant. Now there was one. There was one additional team in this category I forgot to mention. That's the Minnesota Timberwolves, and uh, you know Minnesota, of course, has been without Carl Anthony Towns. He's come back recently, but uh, he's missed most of the season, and now they're going to be without D'Angelo Russell for four to six weeks. Uh, yeah. But 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 this team has been uh, has been really disappointing. They're twenty seventh in offense. You know that was the for anyone that was thinking, oh, Minnesota would compete for the playoffs. It was. Uh, the the theory was that they would be a borderline top ten offensive group, and that they just haven't been. Uh, and you know, I uh, I mentioned at the the outset of the season that I I've always been really low on D'Angelo Russell as a player. I I even called him. A lot of people got on my case about this, and not even a, a top hundred player in the NBA. Uh, but uh, you know. He's done nothing to, to change my mind on that, you know, even without Carl Anthony Towns. You know, yeah, he's, he's shooting 41% from three, but he has not been able to lead an even competent offense, let alone a good one. So this, this whole idea of this, this team being built around Carl uh, Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell is, is not looking good. And then, you know, we, uh, we did, uh, after, the, after the first week of the season, we kind of did a breakdown of all the games we watched and everything, and I mentioned to you that, yeah, Anthony Edwards looks good through a couple of games, but uh, <laughs> since then, he, is, uh, he has been really poor. He's shooting it terribly from just about every area on the floor. Uh, you know, a lot of the concerns I had about the other aspects of his game outside of scoring, like his passing and rebounding, are, are big concerns. He's not really doing either of those. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the looking at the future of this Timberwolves team, especially considering that they owe this first-round pick in this upcoming draft to, uh, to Golden State, uh, unless it falls in the top three, I mean, the future of the Timberwolves here is, is not looking too good. No, no, and it's a shame. I mean, they, they look totally out of place. If you look at um, Coach uh, Saunders, uh, it, it's just not it's, – it's bad. It's, it's bad all around, and, and there's little redeeming qualities there. Ricky Rubio, the, the signing of him looks more and more confusing by the day, although he did have a great um, bounce-back game a couple nights ago, and then actually went and also um, kind of gave a shout-out to Anthony Edwards and the impact that he's having in the locker room. But all in all, I mean, it's just, yeah, this is, this is it's, it's rough. And it's rough when you're a team that is on the bottom, but you can look forward to like some encouraging signs to get better, whatever the case may be, as a young person, or injuries, you can say, okay, you know, when we get when we get all guys healthy, we have the foundation. Right now, this this Timberwolves iteration has been bad, and it's such a long season. A lot of that you just feel for a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who's gone through so much in general. But like, if you take stock of this team, you look at Malik Beasley; he's had a solid season. You can say to yourself, okay, Carl Anthony Towns has, has been out for a while, and that's been impacting that him and and DeAndre Russell still haven't played together. But from what you've seen from DeAndre Russell, what gives you extreme confidence that in extended time with Carl Anthony Towns, they will be this duel that they imagined. You know, I, I don't see it. Um, Anthony Edwards, the same thing. Ricky Rubio there as someone who's kind of bringing these guys along, but he hasn't been. In fact, some of his own shot, sh- uh, shot making or shot sh- shooting ability has been in question. Um, it's, it's weird. It's weird, and you're right. You look at the team and you're like, um, you know, Coach Ryan Saunders, you don't have the belief he's going to bring up a game plan, and you can bring up the fact that they haven't had 
a lot of time to get ready, a lot of young guys, whatever excuse you may be. But if you're not at least putting your players in a somewhat decent position to uh, leave it all on the floor uh, with, a, with a winning or half-decent game plan, uh, don't look so woefully inept, especially when you have vets like Ed Davis and Rick Rubio on the roster. And that's exactly what the Timberwolves look like. Yeah, and just to give you some stats on, on Edwards' struggles so far, shooting 30% from three, 31% from the mid-range, and just 51% at the rim. Uh, you know, really, really struggling. You know, his effective field goal percentage is uh, is sitting at 43.5%, which is at the eighth percentile for his position. So. Yeah, not uh, not a good rookie year so far. But of course, you know we we've, we've seen plenty of rookies really struggle and uh, you know get better as uh, as they uh, as they get more experience. But uh, he he certainly has a, a lot of room to grow from what we've seen so far. Uh, so let let's move on to the next category, which is playoff hopefuls. And uh, this category or this tier, I've got twelve teams. How many do you have in yours, Corbin? You know what, let me do a quick head count here. Uh, for playing hopefuls, 10. Okay, so uh, this will be interesting. We'll see which two maybe that I have that uh, that you don't. I'll, I'll run down my 12 teams I have here. So I've got the San Antonio Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, the Toronto Raptors, the Indiana Pacers, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Charlotte Hornets, the Atlanta Hawks, the New York Knicks, the Chicago Bulls, New Orleans Pelicans, the Sacramento Kings, and the Houston Rockets. Okay, I'm going to read mine because I, I know one team that I definitely ascertained that you didn't have, but I have um, the Rockets, the Kings, the Pelicans, the Hornets, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, the Hawks, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Knicks. Oh, it was it the, did you mention the Raptors? I did not. Okay, so it was the Spurs and Raptors you have a, up in the, yes, in the no, next category. Like, exactly. Okay, so um, yeah, let's 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 talk about the ten that we do have in common, and then we can we can get to the Spurs and Raptors a little later. But uh, you know, the the Houston Rockets coming in as a as a bit of a surprise. Uh, they were kind of on the the borderline for me, but they're sitting right now with the fourth uh, rated defense in the NBA, and uh, obviously, you know. Getting uh, getting James Harden out of town is always going to uh, improve your team's defense. But did you anticipate it was going to be this good? I did not. I, I gotta say, I definitely did not. Um, it's been it's I don't know. It's it's been weird. It's been surprising in that way because you're right. I mean, going in, eh, they, they're decent, I guess. I didn't really put a lot of thought into like how good they could be, but surprise, surprise. I mean. Yeah, and you know the the other thing that's surprising about it is you look at their center position with Christian Wood and, and Demarcus Cousins, two guys that I would not uh, you know consider to be like elite defensive anchors <laughs> by any stretch no, of the imagination. Uh, but they are often playing two big lineups. You know they'll play Cousins and Wood together because you know they both can stretch the floor, and obviously Tucker has played some at the four with uh, the fact that they've got some centers there. So, you know, when you do play two big lineups, that does help your defense. And, you know, John Wall also has has looked a lot better uh, defensively and, and just athletically in general than, than I would have anticipated. Eric Gordon's always been a solid, stout defender. So, 
you know, they, they've got quality defensive pieces in there, but, you know, I, I've got to watch them a little bit more and, and kind of get a grasp on how much of this is maybe Steven Silas and, and his coaching that has, is getting more out of this team defensively than maybe their personnel would suggest. Yeah, I mean, they've been a team, uh, again, you're looking at, and, and yeah, Silas needs all the respect in the world for this, but uh, getting the most out of the team and, and changing the Rockets' identity. I mean, mind you, they're, they're, their defense, they've been a style team for a couple of years, I guess last year, notwithstanding, but but in general, having the identity of this, like, grinded out, hard-hat type play in over a year, and you're right, with guys that traditionally you don't think of, and uh, that first don't come to mind immediately when you think of uh, tough, defensive-minded, a squad and yeah, a lot of credit goes there. I think they're in a weird position with Oladipo, who may be moved or may not. We don't know uh, in terms of when the trade deadline comes. He's been battling injury and just kind of uneven play, I'd say. Uh, you have had the injury to Christian Wood. John Wall's had a very strong season. Uh, you are getting some stuff. I love Jay Sean Tate. Like what you're getting from him um, has been great. But yeah, I think that their team is going to kind of linger around. You hope that they can. Um, Maybe make it make some noise. Yeah, another team that's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, where they've got an elite offense and a pretty pretty um, bad defense, is the New Orleans Pelicans, sitting with the seventh offense and the 29th defense. And I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm a bit surprised because I expected, and you know, I, I've been surprised for the last couple of years because I, I I sit there and I look at the I look at the lineup, you know, last year they had Derek Favors as a defensive center. This year they have Steven Adams. You know, they've got Eric Bledsoe at the point of attack. They've got Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram. You know, you look at the you look at the talent on the roster and you say, okay, these guys are all, you know, decent defensive players, but they continue to underperform on that end, and it hasn't changed going from Alvin Gentry to Stan Van Gundy. No, it really hasn't. Um and, and I think a lot of it, how much do you blame the personnel, you know? Because you're getting these guys who, I mean, Alvin Gentry may not be known as a defensive-minded coach, but you look at a guy like, um, you look at a guy like Sam McGundy, and he most definitely is. Yeah. And yet these guys are still in breakdowns. Even watching their most recent game, uh, today they kept letting guys uh, go middle and penetrate with ease. Uh, playing, the, playing the Grizzlies, I mean, yeah, they came back and definitely did a shellacking on it, but... If you look at if you look at that game, I mean, for the most part, they were getting they were just getting wiped. Yeah, um, the you know I, I did the uh, last week I did the league pass radio of uh, the Pelicans game against the Bulls and they surrendered twenty five made threes to Chicago, uh, and and it was just such simple actions, just some staggered screens up top that you know and, and a single pass would create this wide open three. And listening to, to Zach Lowe on his podcast, he's talked about how Van Gundy over the years had, had really marveled at what uh, Mike Budenholzer had done in Milwaukee with his defense and taking away the rim. And, you know, the, Milwaukee had built the best defense in the NBA despite conceding a ton of threes. So you get the sense that Van Gundy really felt that that was the, the way to go moving forward as a coach on the defensive end of the floor, but the the issue is, you know, Milwaukee did that with really excellent personnel, especially in terms of their rim protection with Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and this team with, with Steven Adams and Zion Williamson, they just don't even, that they pale in comparison as far as that's concerned, 
and, yeah, you're not getting anything on that front. On yeah. And, and, you know, Milwaukee also did such a great job of, um, you know, not fouling and limiting free throw attempts, but this Pelicans team continues to foul and, and put the opponent at the line. And also, I think this year in general, we've seen Milwaukee's defense take a bit of a dip, Toronto's defense as well. We've seen these teams that surrender a ton of threes all of a sudden this year not having as much success, and, and maybe it's a matter of the league adjusting a little bit and, and just the overall shooting in the NBA getting better to a point where maybe, uh, you know, uh, that that style of defense of just completely shutting off the paint and conceding threes isn't as effective as it was a year or two ago. Yeah, and, and maybe that's exactly what it is in terms of the philosophy and how you would traditionally guard that in terms of how it is now. And, and would you say maybe that's outdated, or would you say, like, it's, well, I guess, where would you put most of the blame on that? Would that be on the coaching staff and the players to adjust to how the game is played given this changing environment in that way i mean it's it's got to be the coaching i i think it's always the coaching is a little bit um reactive as opposed to proactive you know again van gundy i think a lot of his strategy was based on okay i've seen what bud has done with milwaukee i'm gonna do that now but he's basing his strategy for this season based on what was successful last season and the year before that um so, you know, yeah, and, and the, the other issue is, and, and it's probably accentuated by the, the COVID issues and stuff, but with the lack of practices and, and things, like once you've installed a defensive system, it's hard in the middle of the year to, to change it and, you know, change it drastically. And that's probably, and that's what I was kind of bringing, alluding to with the Timberwolves and having a team, but in that same vein, yeah, you're right. It's hard to then go with the Pelicans again being another relatively young team in consideration and in and, 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 and comparison rather um with saying oh by the way we're going to change some of our principles here on the fly when the personnel just obviously can't adapt to that you know yep uh, uh, at least not in time but i i guess i'm just I, I hesitate to blame the coach when it is like you know obviously players win games and coaches lose them type thing but in this case i have to agree with you. i think it does make the most sense so another team that uh, has been a surprise on the defensive end, similar to Houston, is has been the New York Knicks, and uh, they're they're sitting at third in defensive rating right now. And, and again, we're recording this probably a little over a third of the way into the season. And uh, you know, in past uh, teams that have been coached by Tom Thibodeau, you know, when when Thibodeau was in Minnesota, he wasn't able to get. Uh, the, the defensive play of that team up to an elite level or even an average level, frankly. Uh, but uh, he's getting big-time production out of out of the New York Knicks. And again, a team with, you know, I would say limited defensive personnel. And offensively, you know, they're sitting at 24th, but, uh, you know, I would say that's even good considering their talent. And I think a lot of that has, you have to give the credit to Julius Randle, who's having a fantastic season. Yeah, I would think Julius Randle's having, what, all-star level? Would you agree with that? At least borderline, yeah. He's got to be in the uh, conversation. Yeah, I mean, he's been putting up, forget the massive 44-point game that he put up, but in general, I mean, he's shooting a career high from three. His distribution has never been better, in my opinion, um, in, in that way. Uh, he's obviously been a leader of a team that really prides itself on just that kind of grit and grind style. I mean, they're not winning games offensively. He's 24th in offensive rating. When you look at what they're bringing to the table, and in specific, like we're talking about Julius Randle, 23 points, 11 rebounds, and just over 5.5 assists per game, shooting 40% from three on 4.5 attempts a night. Yeah. 
inside, in my opinion, R.J. Barrett. His three-point shooting still hasn't really come around. I mean, he's shooting just 30% from three and taking just one three less than Randall. But all in all, I mean, the numbers look good, the 16, 6, and 3. And it's not just the numbers that, that, that kind of bear fruit there. It's also when you look at him in the game, he has a lot more confidence kind of attacking the rim, a lot more confidence in his own of, of playing within himself and kind of figuring out his style. And that's working together, especially when you look at uh, a team right now where the Knicks are playing more than the sum of their parts. And, you know, if, of course, it's helped by the defensive end, um, Tom Thibodeau and what he's doing there. But right now, I mean, this Knicks team has been this kind of team that, hey, you know, they're going to get, they're going to get, beat in a little bit once in a while, but for the most part, they're going to be a team that comes out, comes hard, and ready to play. And that's something you can't really have said for Knicks teams in the past couple of years. I'm going to push back a little bit on the R.J. Barrett is looking super good. I, I certainly agree that he's improved from his rookie year, but you know, looking at his numbers, he's, he's at 56% at the rim, 35% from the mid-range, and 31 from three. You know, uh, the surprisingly that that mid-range number at 35 percent is seven percent better than it was as a rookie um and uh, he's a couple percentage points better at the at the rim but uh still you know i would say a below average offensive player given his usage at this stage but he's still he's still incredibly young and yeah the the assist percentage uh, is up a little bit his turnover rate is down he has made he has made a step but uh you know i, I thought he was a he was a pretty poor rookie, so uh, you know I think he's gotten to maybe slightly below average at this stage, which you know not terrible for a year or two, but but certainly uh, not uh, not great for a, a top three pick. I get you. I, I think more in line with like the confidence of someone that's playing. Like I, I don't know. I mean, from what I've seen, the confidence of someone who's playing, like he knows where he's. he's he had more confidence in terms of getting that type of. Um, what is the word I'm looking? Like, the numbers don't bear out in my job. I'm an inefficient shot lover anyway. But I guess last year, he just looked totally out of his element. I don't see that this year. I see a lot more confidence that, yeah, it does need to pay off in terms of efficiency numbers for certain. But at the same time, I am impressed with what I'm seeing from him um, in, in, in regards to improvement. Because he has made some improvement. I agree, yeah. And uh, like I said, you know, when we were talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers, we talked about Colin Sexton. I mean, he was a terrible rookie, and he's just made, you know, decent progress in the last couple of years getting better and better. And now I'd say he's an above-average basketball player at this stage. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, if, uh, if if Barrett continues to progress uh, like he has from year one to year two, I think in a, in a couple of years he could be a, a solid contributor uh, for this next team. But uh, let's talk about a couple other teams here. Uh, the Sacramento Kings sitting outside of the uh, the playoff picture at the moment, but uh, they've got an impressive offense sitting at 12th in the NBA, led by De'Aaron Fox, having a solid, a really solid season, especially in terms of getting to the rim and finishing at the bucket. Uh, but uh, the defense has been absolutely atrocious. They're 30th in the NBA, and, and a big part of that is, you know, they've been playing Bagley a bunch at center, and, uh, you know, he simply is not getting it done defensively at that position. No, and I, honestly, I mean, it's weird to, under, to ascertain what Bagley's best position is, but defensively, uh, especially point of, a point of attack like on the five, like it's not, that definitely isn't his role. Um, and I feel bad for him. He's going through, I mean, he has a much maligned couple of years already up to this point. And a lot of it, yeah, you know, has been dumb luck with injuries and maybe not. Just, I think bottom line, he's, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but him not being Luka Doncic. But at the same time, it's not like I think the Kings have been putting in positions to succeed. And then when they have him in positions where at least he can't outright 
happy kind of mixed motive. A team that's going to, you know, hopefully they could fall anywhere between uh, the bottom feeders of the respective conference or fighting for like a playoff hopeful spot. But now I think the Kings have, have kind of yeah, more or less crested to where they are right now. And you're right, defensively it's rough. A lot of that falls on uh, badly at the five. But I mean, come on, when you're dead last in defensive rating, there's a lot more blame to be passed around on that front. Uh, Harrison Barnes had had such a strong start, and he's just faded badly down the stretch recently, even still being a, a fine player all in all. Um, but he's been decent. I like Darren Fox and the way he's played on that time, especially trying to be more assertive in the fourth quarter. Tyrese Halliburton has been the story for me this year for the Kings. I mean, again, 12 points and 5 assists, like just on the, the raw numbers, but when you watch the kid play, shooting 44% from three, even with that unorthodox style, and really keying some key runs for Sacramento, it's been good. But you have, I don't know, you have too many guys that are just kind of there. You know, I look at Corey Joseph, I look at like a Miami Leeds, I look at Hassan Whiteside, that are, they're, they're there. And I don't know if you're getting anything for them, I don't know if they're making an impact on other teams, maybe Leeds, uh, if no one else. But at the same time, they're, they're just kind of pieces for the, for the Kings that are, they're just taking up minutes. Yeah, um, you mentioned Halliburton. He's been, without a doubt, one of the top two or three rookies in the NBA this year. He's right up there in contention for Rookie of the Year. Um, you know, you, you brought up Harrison Barnes getting off to the great start. He's cooled off a little bit as of late, but still having a strong season. He's shooting 48% on corner threes. He's also in the 95th percentile in, in shooting fouls drawn, so Barnes has been a plus for them. And yeah, De'Aaron Fox, uh, you know, continues to be uh, you know, continues to to progress uh, as uh, as he gets further and further into his NBA career, shooting seventy percent at the rim, which is a career high by seven uh, percent. His previous high was at sixty three, but uh, you know, for a for a guy of his size to be able to get to the rim as often as he does and finish at that high of a mark just shows you the the crazy athleticism, speed, quickness, and explosiveness that he has. Yeah, and using it to full effect, really. I mean, that's another thing that, like you said, it's one to have these skills available, and it's another to be able to kind of go and bear them out. And I think he's done a great job uh, so far. If you're looking at a bright spot on this team, but all in all, I, I guess I have a question for you uh, in concerning Sacramento. Where do you look at this um, as a look on Luke Walton? Just in terms of how much is uh, is he to blame for the exactly. the, the poor defense? I think he has to be somewhat responsible for that. You also wonder, though, how much pressure he's being applied, or you know, is being applied to him from from management ownership uh, to to play Bagley a bunch. When in reality, you know, given given Bagley Bagley's struggles, I frankly would give up on him at this point. Uh, I, I like to justify his being there. I mean, yeah, I, so you never know as far as that's concerned because, you know, Sacramento ownership with Vivek Ranadive has been a complete and utter disaster. And so, you know, they, they're, um, you know there was that whole thing about uh, uh, pressure to, uh, to get Buddy healed because he felt like he was a Steph Curry type. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, I mean, even then was funny, but in retrospect, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so you know, you, you never know how much Luke Walton is being pressured into into playing Bagley and, and doing certain things. But but yeah, I, I I've never felt that Walton was that great of a coach. I don't think he's awful, but uh, you know, 
uh, you know, as as far as if we were to do a, we should do a, a coach's ranking at some point uh, in that the future. But uh, I, I would say he's in the bottom third at the very uh, at the very best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess I just don't know when I look at this team where I place the blame because they have some good pieces there. At the same time, it is kind of mismatched, and the philosophy doesn't always make the most sense. And it's like, does it all lie with the owner? You know, is this something that that you do look at? You know, Luke Wallen as the coach. Like, um, obviously, if you look at some of the players. I mean, how much do I blame Marvin Bagley for not being? the guy who they should have drafted. I think he's a perfectly fine player. If we were to do a redraft, that's something I'd like to do. Like, where would he be? That would be interesting to me, you know? Yeah, maybe the second round. We'll see. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, we come with the Corbin hot takes, I see. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Sacramento uh, hanging in there. And, again, because the play-in has ten teams making it, you know, that that still gives them an opportunity there in the, in the difficult Western Conference. But, uh a few teams in the East that uh, you know are hanging in there, and uh, you know Charlotte is is doing a really good job. They're they're currently in as the eighth seed at the moment. Uh, they're they're sitting with the 18th offense and the 18th defense. And then the Atlanta Hawks, a team that I was very high on, I projected them to be the eighth seed uh, right now with the 15th offense and the 19th defense. But the Hawks have just been decimated with injuries. Uh, you know, they've had Gallo miss a, a, a good chunk of games. They, of course, had uh, their rookie Anyeka Kongwu miss the start of the season. And most recently, they've had Bogdanovich miss the last month or so. And uh, and also DeAndre Hunter has missed the last, uh, you know, I think about nine games. And, and Hunter was having this fantastic year for them. So, you know, it's how much of this, you know, the, the 15th offense, 19th defense, and, and, you know, sitting at 11 and 16, how much of that, Corbin, do you think is just what this team is? Or or how much do you apportion their their struggles to just the, the injuries that they've endured? I think some of it is injuries for certain. I mean, you have guys like like we, like you mentioned that would have been, you know, key contributors for this team or a guy like DeAndre Hunter who has been up to this point. At the same time, I mean, if you look at where the Hawks are in that rating already and where they're kind of continuing to slump, and the fact that even with the guys on the floor, you have enough there in certain situations that you can still plot a victory. You know what I mean? Like, this Hawks team way totally rebuilt their bench. So even with some of these guys that have been picking up more minutes, it's not like they've been Hawks teams of years past. You know what I mean? So I want to kind of hedge where I'm going there because on the one hand, yeah, you know, you're looking at a team that's not the optimal lineup that you want to have. On the other hand, I mean, you're not playing guys that you had to play the last couple of years that were just instant net neg- like net negatives off the top. Uh, these guys are just decent players. You just have had underwhelming, uneven play from uh, Trey Young at times. You've had uh, inability to defend, and other times it, it's been it's been a problem with a lot going on. That's the reason why now the Hawks are uh, loses a five straight. And you're right, like you've had Rondo, Hunter, Bogdanovich, Dunn, all these guys who have been out that have, that could be key contributors for this team that have not been able to. But I also don't think that you can say that you've gotten everything out of the Hawks that have played and then you're still losing. You know what I mean? I think it's a little bit of both. So ultimately, I, I guess I said all that to kind of edge on where I'm going. But I look at this team in 90 days. Let me just tell you some of the guys that were on the Hawks last year, just as like a little reminder. Yeah. You know, you had uh, Vince Carter, you know, at the time, all man. You know, core, like a, a bit amazing. Um, you know, you had Damian Jones, Jabari Parker, um, 
Cam Reddish, uh, Dwayne Dedman, Alan Crabb, uh, Travion Graham, Brandon Goodwin, like guys who were guys. You know, like they they they, they have, put them over like the like the Wizards roster now, where like yeah, I guess they can play, but like you're not you, you're not going up there, and if they lose, you're not saying okay, like that that was something we should have won. I mean, Jeff Teague came in and was like a a panacea for the Hawks in terms of backup point guard, and it's the same Jeff Teague that we see sticking up for the Celtics right now. So like, let's just be real, where you got guys now that are getting some more minutes that have been playing well. I mean, mind you, Brandon Goodwin, I mentioned just being there, he's still there now. But in terms of other guys who have been stepping up and taking some more minutes, I don't think you're seeing a horrible team up here. I think Solomon Hill, Kevin Hurd have been playing great for Atlanta. I think John Collins had his moments. I think Cam Reddish has had his moments as well. Mind you, moment probably because he's shooting 37% from the field. But the same vein, you got some guys here who, in my mind, are a better caliber of player than you had in last year's roster. And so I think when you look at this, Let's say 75, 25 injuries, but you got to put a little bit on the, on the players who are on the floor. Yeah, Trey Young has, uh, I think in the month of February, is down in the low 30s in terms of his uh, three-point percentage. So he's gone in a bit of a slump at the worst possible time, you know, with with uh, with uh, Hunter's absence. And so the team has gone on a, on a big-time skid. But I still like their chances to, to make the, the at least the play-in in the Eastern Conference, given that uh, hopefully they'll, they'll get a little healthier as the season goes on. I think, you know, fully healthy, this team is more like a top-10 offense and, a, and around the 20th defense, that sort of a caliber of group. But, um, you know, and, and given the, the state of the Eastern Conference, that would be enough to, to, uh, to get you into the playoffs. But, exactly. Uh, but as far as the uh, the Charlotte Hornets mentioned earlier again that they're the 18th offense, the 18th defense, uh, they've had a, a great season. And, and frankly, Corbin, uh, I think I, I can speak for both of us when I say I think we were both too low on LaMelo Ball. The guy has been spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy, like you said, he's been, he's been something else. Um, I was low on LaMelo, and I was super high on Anthony Edwards. And, I mean, this guy's been just a highlight reel. Like, he's been playing really, really well. He definitely deserves a start. When you look at him, he went from a guy who I thought was just another one of the guys for Charlotte to being one of their top three players. I think you put him alongside Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, and honestly, look at him now, and like as soon as next year, I can see him possibly being their best player, for better or for worse, whatever that means, but by the same vein, uh, you know, I, I think there's still some issues. You know, he's had some uh, some tough shooting uh, coming up. I mean, that shot is going to live or, or die by it, and you know, it's, it's his shot, but at the same time, uh, his numbers, you know, they, they've been good. 14.6 points, 6.2 rebounds, 6.1 assists. That's great for a rookie. Shooting 35% from three, 43% overall. That's good. I mean, uh, they're not great numbers, but they're solid numbers. You know, I mean, right now, if you look at that compared to someone like, I mean, this is a horrible thing, but I'm sorry, for the same contract. I mean, for the same, uh, not contract, but for the same um, sideline, line, you're looking like Nick Platoon for Charlotte. Like, you know, it, it's decent. I think some of the impact he's getting is in immediate chemistry he's finding with these Hornets has been great, but, and maybe I'm doing this to kind of protect my own uh, stance on LaMelo from the beginning, I just want to see a little bit more uh, before I'm totally, totally, totally on it. Yeah, uh, you mentioned LaMelo shooting 35% from three. I, I checked on cleaning the glass, which excludes garbage time, and they have him at 37%, which, yeah, that was, you know, that was one of my big concerns going in was, you know, he was like a 28% three-point shooter, I think, or something in Australia. Uh, so, 
Yeah. Um, so uh, the fact that he's up at 37 percent is a is a, a huge positive sign, a huge positive indicator for him. And then also the defense. You know, there was a a legitimate question mark over his his effort level, but you know we knew he had the athleticism and the size to be decent defensively. Uh, and and he has immediately come in and and you know has has uh, I think I, I heard that he was top five in deflections in the NBA. Just uh, makes a lot of plays on that end of the floor. Both both him and Halliburton have been some of the best defensive playmakers in the entire league. Wow, yeah, I mean coming in and making an impact on that end, and almost instantly you're right. Like he's competent. You know, at times he definitely looks like uh, a guy who hasn't played a whole lot of. Uh, I don't want to say organized basketball, but high-quality basketball in that vein. And there's a guy who played out of state, because I mean, out of, out of the country, because you see some moves where he's like, I mean, literally just like following the ball after the initial action, like going, I, it, it's almost comical in some ways, but he's a rookie, but it's still funny in seeing some of the, I can't remember the exact play, I think it was literally the last game they played, I was watching, what, two nights ago, and he was chasing the ball, you know, he got beat around the corner, turned the corner, and was chasing him. And, um, what had happened? Oh, they had passed to um, the romance, so he was chasing the other guy with the ball. He was just chasing the ball. And then the guy who was initially chasing popped out to the corner for three. And it was funny because I was like, okay, you still got to get back to your assignment. Like he, But he had totally this, oh, ball, 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 ball. It was, it was <laughs> hilarious. But, yeah, I mean, he's made an impact. And, I mean, this is something that I I totally understated. I totally understated. I, did, I took it for granted, and, and, he's, and, and I'm, I'm eating it now, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah, I think we both had him like third or fourth on our on our board. I would put him number one now if I could uh, could redo it. Yeah, but, I would have to agree. Uh, I mean, there's just no way you don't now. Um, even with me still hoping for the best from my guy Edwards, but right now you look at the immediate impact he's had on this team. He's proven, you know, a quarter of the way in that he deserves to start. Uh, he's formed instant chemistry with guys like. Um, Miles Bridges and others that have worked out well. I think I've liked the way that he has played alongside Gordon Hayward. I mean, he fits this team to a T. He genuinely wants to get his guys involved. Um, there's none of that like, kind of uh, antics that I guess people imagine would come with him. He's just a guy who plays basketball, and that's been great to see. Absolutely. So uh, the the last team I have here prior to my top four teams in this tier, I, I was kind of debating whether they should be in a tier above, but the last team prior to those four would be the Memphis Grizzlies. They're currently sitting with the uh, 21st offense and the 12th defense. They've had the most postponements due to COVID-related reasons in the NBA, so they haven't played a ton of games. But given that they've uh, gone the whole season without Jaron Jackson Jr., and that they're still right in the hunt there for the playoffs in the in a tough Western Conference, you've got to give a ton of credit to uh, head coach Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, he's got, uh, I don't want to say the absolute most out of this team, but when you look at a lot of these young guys on this squad and how he's been able night after night to kind of get them to play good basketball, shorthanded, perpetually shorthanded, since, the, like, what, around this time last year? I mean, guys just going out and out, it's it's... It's good to see, um, and this is a guy. I guess you're talking about another guy uh, coaching. We kind of, I kind of gave some flack to Ryan Saunders for the Timberwolves, but another guy take coaching a relatively young team in Jenkins and the Grizzlies. How he gets them to play hard, play more together, and look competent more or less on the floor. You know, you get your your occasional lackings. I mean, uh, last night's game against the Pelicans would be one such example of that. But for the most part, you're going to get a good performance from these guys, short-handed or no, and it's from a lot of different factors. Kyle Anderson has had some big games. Jonas Valanciunas has been huge. Obviously, you can't really go that far 
Morant, but you've also had great games from Dylan, Dylan Brooks and good contributions from guys like Grayson Allen and um, Gorgie Jang as well. So this team in, in general, yeah, you, you, you can only tip your hat to a coach like that that can get his guys, uh, any guys that he has available to play, and, and having some semblance of decent play, um, more or less, over the course of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to to watch this team once uh, once JJJ returns because he really uh, you know again they're sitting at 20 21 in offensive rating but he completely changes uh, how this team plays offense given his floor spacing at the four or the five position um, you know and and he also I think just gives John Morant so much more room to uh, to maneuver and I think that's been part of the struggles for Morant offensively is just not having him out there with him uh so so that they'll be interesting and uh, yeah looking forward to to watch them they certainly are a team with a with a very bright future but the four teams that i have right near the top of this playoff hopeful category are the the indiana pacers the raptors the warriors and the spurs and you mentioned you had the raptors and the spurs up in the next tier so let's talk warriors and pacers first uh, so, you know, teams with, these two teams have pretty similar offensive and defensive ratings. The Pacers in 17th in offense, Warriors 20th. And then on defense, the, the, the Pacers have the 9th rated defense and the Warriors 8th. But, uh, you know, Golden State has been, uh, has been fun to watch, certainly. And, you know, Steph Curry has had a spectacular season. But you look at the again, considering their twentieth in offense with how great Steph has been playing, it just goes to show you how little offensive talent this team has with the the other rotation pieces. Yeah, and it really does. I mean, I was a little more optimistic, even though it was already a, a potentially funky fit having uh, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre as your wings alongside uh, alongside Curry, just because both those guys fit more of the three the four that slide down to the two for me, but also because those aren't the guys I look at as consistent offensive creations in that way. Both those guys are scorers, but also high volume. Things of that sort. Mind you, this with Andrew Wiggins, uh, he's currently second in isolation points per possession this season, and he's averaging career high in both field goal and three-point percentage, but it's been peaks and valleys with him, and that's been even more uh, better currently than you would have with a guy like Kelly Oubre, who started off just ridiculously awful shooting the basketball for the first, what, 10, 15 games of the season. Yeah. And slowly started riding on to form. And even now, I mean, I'm sorry, he's shooting 29% from three. That is not good at all, but it's better than it was. He was at one point like riding 8% for a couple of games. Um, <laughs> but when these are your guys getting the next share of shots after Curry, I mean, you're not exactly in good hands. You have a guy like Draymond Green, who I would implore to shoot more. And other guys after this, uh, for the Warriors, I mean, Wiseman's been out, obviously, but. You know, as a rookie, he's not going to just immediately come in and take over in terms of, of, of shots in that way. And the rest of the guys on this roster are guys who are complementary players. They're not going to, you know, you might get a big game out of them once or twice a season, but you're not going to get consistent, you know, 15, 17 points a game. And so that is why a lot of pressure is still on Steph Curry to create for a team that lacks creation and also those basic tenets of basketball that the Warriors of, of, of years past had innately in them. Yeah, you mentioned the the struggles from Ubre from downtown, but also, you know, I saw a I saw a tweet of a play from Ubre in, in a game the Warriors had against the Grizzlies, where uh, they were running a they were on offense. They they just forced a turnover. They had a three on two break with uh, Ubre Toscano Anderson on the left wing 
and uh, Steph Curry in the left corner, and Oubre's dribbling the ball at the top of the key. Uh, Steph is literally pointing to Toscano Anderson, saying, Kelly, pass him the ball, because then they'll, they'll just be able to swing it and get Steph a wide-open corner three. Instead, Oubre attacks uh, Jonas Valanciunas, has his layup blocked, and then coming down the other way, Oubre jogs back and concedes a uh, layup under the rim, <laughs> not being aware of, uh, of the basketball, of where the basketball is. Uh, it was just one of those plays where you're like, oh yeah, this guy, um, just from, a, from an intellectual perspective, does not fit the, uh, <laughs> this team. I mean, only when Draymond is involved. That's the you know when he's when he's doing the stuff where he's uh, you know catching the ball out of the pick and roll. He's wide open and instead you know dribbles over to Steph, sets a quick screen, and he gets a look. You know those sorts of actions where it's literally just Green and Curry are the only times where I get any any sense of that. But yeah, when anyone else is involved, uh, yeah, there's nothing reminiscent of, of 2016. Yeah, exactly, and it's a shame, but it's it's the truth. Like you're not getting that type of basketball. Mind you, it's not to say that basketball is the only recipe for success, but it's to show how far they've gone from that type to what they are now. Where it's okay, how much can Steph give you? If you can get another big game from Oubre, forty pointer here or there, then all the you know all the more power to you. But if not, then I mean you'll 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 see where the chips fall where they may. I mean chips fall where they may for the Warriors. What you know? It's not that's not something you usually come to to associate with them. But yeah, here we are. As far as the Pacers, I again mentioned, uh, you know, 17th offense, 9th in defense. You know, with the coaching change from uh, McMillan to Bjorkren, the the offensive and defensive ratings hasn't changed much. Now, they have been missing T.J. Warren for a while, of course. They traded for Karis LeVert, and then he had the kidney issue, but uh, he looks to be on the mend. So they're, they're missing a couple of key guys that maybe would improve that offensive rating, and you know, you, you've seen little subtle changes. You know, I think Miles Turner and, and Goga Batadze, their, their center alongside uh, Sabonis, uh, typically are, are spreading the floor a little bit more. I think Turner's uh, taking 42% of his attempts from three compared to 38 last year. So, you know, Bjorkman is a little bit more focused on, on getting floor spacing and, and stuff, but I haven't seen too much different. They still seem... Very reminiscent of uh, of the Pacers of old. Yeah, which I mean, it's a solid squad, but like, what is what is the, what is the ceiling for this team? I think it's kind of right where they are. Like, I mean, yeah, a lot you can say is waiting for a guy like a Kyrie Irving seeing what he. I mean, first, thank goodness that he is kind of on the mend and getting better, but we not even know where you're going there right now. You've just basically lost Victor Oladipo, which mind you, it was like you were getting 2018 Victor Oladipo, but this one was a pretty solid iteration, and. um you don't have that now, and now you're kind of just treading water. I mean, it's been a, you know, you've had some some games just not looked good. You've had some games where you looked pretty competent. Like, I really have probably the least to say about the Pacers because they just, they, I didn't have to think about this. This is where they were. You know, play 
I didn't see them as dangerous playoff teams, and I saw them as playoff hopefuls. I'm just like, they're a playoff team. You know, whether that's seven, eight, six, seven, eight, like, they're there. Do I, I mean, are you, do they invoke fear? Do you see them kind of getting a, I don't know a matchup I can see them in outside of maybe, like, a playing hopeful that I would give the Pacers the advantage. I think they could lose on any given night. Right, yeah, to me, for you to be a dangerous playoff team, you have, have to have a history of at least winning a playoff game. <laughs> exactly, and even then, I mean, I wouldn't feel a lot better about it if it was a team like the like the Pacers of two years ago, where you could have been, you know, Victor Lee was balling out, and it was just a superhuman effort from LeBron James, you know, something like that. But that's not what we're getting here. This is, a, a, at the end of the day, they lost that, and you saw what they looked like last year, and you're going to bring an iteration similar, and you're just not, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, um, I agree. I, I, I um, right. They're they're most likely going to make the playoffs, especially in the East. And uh, if they won a, a, a single series, if they got the right matchup, that wouldn't shock me. But I, I would be shocked if uh, if if I saw them in the conference finals. And that's kind of how I differentiated my playoff hopefuls to my dangerous playoff teams. As I kind of looked at well. You know, is it reasonable to expect this team to be in the conference finals? If not, I didn't put the, put them in there. But um, that's smart. I can see where that's coming from. Yeah, I mean, conference finals. I gotta rethink. Actually, no, I like what I got. Okay, cool. I'm with you on that. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about then the couple of teams that again I had in the playoff hopefuls. You have in the dangerous playoff team. So um, San Antonio, of course, a team that you uh, you cover and, and watch all the time with your podcast spanning the Spurs. Uh, they're a team that, uh, you know, moving up in the standings, I think they're fifth in the West right now. Um, and, uh, you know, sporting the fifth best defense in the NBA. That was something that uh, I felt pretty proud of myself for projecting that I thought this was going to be a year where it kind of shifted, where in pre- the past couple of years they they won games via their offense, and now they're doing it with their defense. And, you know, given that they've got Derek White and DeJounte Murray and they've got Lonnie Walker and, and Keldon Johnson, they've just got a lot of young, athletic guys. And, you know, Jakob Pertl also falls into that category, a solid defensive center who's who's also young. Uh, they they have developed this young core that uh, I think will will make them a decent team for many years to come. No, I agree. And like you said, it's a young core. I mean, you look at these two guys, you have between um, Derek White and DeJounte Murray, White 26, Murray 24, and the length of the lesson that you have between these guys, you have a young Lonnie Walk, you have a 21-year-old 6'5 power forward, and Kelton Johnson is leading the team in rebounding. I mean, this is a young group that can only grow and get better, and when they're in their full defensive fury as far as, like, arms, wingspan, everywhere, they're great. And one guy who I was talking about this in my last little episode here, but I think is getting enough love is DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan, I mean, the satellite's okay, he's actually averaging the fewest uh, points of his career since his rookie year. I think it's nine, just a shade under 20, 20 points, five rebounds, just under seven assists per game. But he's um, averaging the, like one of the more assists uh, of seasons of his career, while the least turnovers of his career with an amazing assist turnover ratio. And on usage, the last time he had um, an assist, like a, a turnover like ratio that was uh, smaller was his rookie year, and his usage has jumped up from what was 18, 17, 18% back then to like 23 over here now. And he just becomes so much better as an offensive initiator for the squad. He takes over in the clutch. He's had several games for the Spurs where he's been their closer, and he thrives in that role and getting his shot. He's shooting a three a little bit more. I mean, he's someone who, I mean, I don't think he gets enough 
of this year for what he's done. And in fact, I had um, I actually went and, and pointed this out and retweeted this. This was from, um, let me get the name here. Uh, he's a great follow for Spurs content. And he had basically looked at who was getting all-star votes uh, compared to DeMar DeRozan. And it was Noah Magaro George at N underscore or M-A-G-A-R-O. And he said, uh, Clay Thompson, Alex Caruso, Andrew Wiggins, and Carmelo Anthony have more all-star votes than DeMar DeRozan. That's ridiculous to me. I mean, if you look at where the Spurs are uh, relative to expectations, you look at how they performed. And at the end of the day, I mean, yes, you could look at their defense, how they've improved there, the development of the young guys, Kelton Johnson in particular, uh, the, the way they've adapted their style. But DeMar DeRozan has kind of been the linchpin to their success as that one steady constant. You can tell just by looking at the games he has to play and seeing how the Spurs look. Yeah, Corbin, I'm ready to uh, remove the uh, the 25 percent power that the uh, the random person has to vote for the All Stars. Uh, they they have shown time and time again that uh, they are not good. The 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 general public is not good at deciphering who's good at basketball. Not at all. I, I agree with you. And I have another thing to even add to that, man. If you um if you're not playing for the year, you can't vote. I mean, if you're if you're not playing for the year, you can't be eligible for votes. And, that, and that I get it. Like, if the fan thing is turned to a popularity contest, like, if we were in school again, like, elementary school, or, or like, like, it doesn't make any sense to me. At the end of the day, uh, I, uh, you could say the voting, and yeah, you're right, the voting's a sham. I mean, I like Alex Cruz as much as anyone, but, like, only as much as anyone. Um, Andrew Wiggins, are we serious? Carmelo Anthony? Come on now. And then Clay Thompson? Yes. Fan favorite, I get it. The dude was declared out of the season before the season began. Like, why is he even eligible to receive votes? taking away from guys who could be getting that consideration. It, it, it boggles the mind. Yeah, and there was that a uh, few years ago, Zaza Pachulia from his country of Georgia oh, wow, was getting Georgia. a, yes. <laughs> was getting a ton of... Oh, yeah. I mean, that was funny back then, but I, I mean, even then, it's the same standard. Like, back then it was a joke, and now I'm being more actively engaged. I'm like, no, nah, it's ridiculous. Like, you're right, like, it shouldn't happen, you know? But yeah, going back to your DeRozan comments, I agree with you. I think he's made some nice strides. Um, you know, even taking 12% of his field goal attempts from three this season, which was up from 3% last year. So, you know, 12% isn't a lot, but it's still a little bit better in terms of helping space the floor for others. I think he's also done a good job. You mentioned his usage rate is down a little bit of just being that second side pick and roll guy and attacking what is an already warped defense. So, yeah, he's, he's had a, a very solid year. Uh, I, I have to um, – I'm planning on doing an all-star pod here soon and, and pick the teams, and he's, 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 he's definitely in consideration. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's been solid. And also just, you know, him being out there for a lot of minutes on the team that's the fifth-rated defense – you know, the fact that he's been able to, despite, you know, I, I, I haven't seen him make huge strides defensively, but he does put in the effort. And, uh, you know, just being a one of the five of a good defensive engine uh, is, uh, you know, you, you've got to give him a little credit for that as well. But uh, holding your own in that for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about the, uh, the, the Toronto Raptors then, and another team that you've got up in the next tier. Uh, you know, they they certainly got off to a horrendous start, but they've started to, to pick things back up. Toronto with the ninth-ranked offense and the 15th defense. And to me, the, the biggest disappointment is the defensive end of the floor, where I still expected them to be pretty elite. But a lot of it, to me, has been 
Aaron Baines is just not the yeah. same player that he was a couple of years ago. His block rate is down under a percent, which is a career low for him. Uh, and and also, you know, on the offensive end for Baines, he hasn't been able to stay on the floor and be effective because he's shooting, I believe, 22% from three. Yeah, he's, he's, he's regressed in a major way, and, and you have to wonder if at 34, like, the bottom just came very quickly. The bottom fell out very quickly for him. I mean, it remains to be seen. But he was looked at someone that could be an impact player for them. And right now, I think he'd probably be better off right now as a bit player in Phoenix, you know, um, in comparison to where he is now, what he was expected to bring to the table and what he actually is producing. It, it, it's far and away a big dip. But I think uh, the Raptors are kind of undergoing a revolution. They're kind of weird in terms of the fact they lose to the worst team in the NBA in the Timberwolves and then turn around and be one of the better teams in the NBA in Milwaukee. And that lack of consistency from game to game, with the exception of maybe uh, Fred Van Vliet, uh, and to a lesser extent, Kyle Lowry is tangible. I mean, it's very real. Pascal Siakam shooting just 30% from three, uh, you know, leading the Raptors in scoring and playing a little bit better all across the board. But in general, it's weird. And again, the half-court woes are an issue for the Raptors, uh, although it is, hasn't reared as ugly head as much as it did last year. It's still very much not something that's been settled. And that's even with strong play from a guy like DeAndre Bembry, who I've really liked as an addition to this team. Yeah, I think they just, uh, you know, early on in the season, it was just a matter of, like, basically their whole roster was all in a shooting slump at the same time. <laughs> you know, Pascal Siakam was, was off to a horrendous start. I thought OG got off to a, a slow start shooting the ball. Norman Powell as well. But as you mentioned, Siakam uh, has, has gotten better as the season has gone along, which is a good sign because, yeah, early on there was a uh, you know, given the contract that they gave him last offseason, it was a big concern. Oh boy, if this guy falls off a cliff, what do the Raptors do? But he's he's uh, you know gotten back into form of being a, an All Star caliber type player over the last month or two. Nor- Norman Powell has uh, has really picked it up. He's shooting over forty percent from three for the season. Uh, so so yeah, it, it is interesting though. You do you. Do you imagine Corbin that this uh, you know the that this team is going to win games due to their offense for this year, or is it going to start to come back to what we've seen in the past couple of years, where the defense becomes elite as time goes on, or you know maybe maybe the center position is just so kind of screwed up at this point that uh, having an average defense is kind of what what we should expect. I actually tend to lean toward the latter there, Garrett. I just don't know if I see any offensive field this year, maybe look at a guy like OG and Nobu who's kind of been in and out, or I mean, can Pascal go another level? I mean, Fred Van Vliet has definitely um, played more in line of a, of a point guard. I, I think, you know, he was, looking, uh, in my opinion, as a definite combo guard, but I've seen more floor general skills from him. Uh, Kyle Lowry kind of getting what you're getting from there. I think Pascal Siakam, this is kind of who he is. I don't see another offensive evolution for this team. While defensively, yeah, you would think they'd round back into form, but I don't see that happening right now either. Um, and I don't project that coming up for the rest of this year. So I am kind of leaning toward that latter half where, yes, that center rotation is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And uh, if you can field an average defense with what you have here, uh, I think you're doing okay. Now, can things break right and you get a hot shooting streak and, you know, you have a couple of collapses here and there? I mean, the Raptors team at the end of the day have guys who've been there before. I don't think they're just going to fold in that way. I think that they'll play up to their level as best as they can. It's just right now this level of theirs isn't as good as it's been in years past. 
Yeah. Um, speaking of Van Fleet, though, I think he's been one of the key reasons this team is 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 playing better offensively than they did last year, even. Uh, and and he's uh, he obviously had that fifty four point game against Orlando. He's uh, he's shooting even more threes. Forty eight percent of his attempts are from downtown this year. And also, you know, he's he's always been a guy that uh, he can get to the rim, but he's always struggled to finish. He's always been near fifty percent in conversion rates at the basket. Uh, but this year, he's just basically said, I'm not going to take many at the rim. He's he's down to 25% of his shot attempts at the basket. That was 38% last year, and he's kind of exchanged that for more threes, more mid-rangers, just trusting that jumper. And that jumper has looked uh, pretty pure this season. Yeah, it's come through in a, in a major way, right? It just kind of, I guess, sticking to a strength and something that's continued to prove itself to be just that. And when you can get dividends like you have now, I mean, I, there, I, you don't see me critiquing. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, thirty-nine percent from three for Van Fleet and forty-four uh, percent from long mid-range. So certainly shooting the heck out of the ball. But yeah, and uh, the confidence with which he does it, you can see it. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's move on then to the next tier, and we already know a couple of teams you have in that category. I've got six teams in this group, so I'm guessing you have eight or maybe more. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Uh, so the teams that I have here uh, include the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, the Denver Nuggets, the Miami Heat, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Dallas Mavericks. Okay. I um, have the Celtics, the Pacers, the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Spurs, the Mavericks, and the Blazers. And uh, caveat there, when I put the Spurs in this category, uh, I think to a lesser extent the Mavericks as well, definitely the Blazers. I did that with the thinking that I don't know if I see dangerous attached to those names, but I definitely see playoff team there. Yeah, uh, I'm still, you know, I'm still of the belief as at least as far as the the Heat, the Blazers, and the Mavericks, all those teams, you know, uh, I, I guess I should say that the Blazers are, are actually, you know, they they've actually done pretty well despite all of their injuries record wise. Uh, but but all of those teams, I think, if they were to get healthy and playing well, you know, we saw Dallas, you know, challenge the Clippers in the first round last year, and just with with Luca and Porzingis both playing at a at a high level, you know, to me, that's a, a team that you don't want to face if if they're if they're healthy and, and playing well at the right time. Uh, the Blazers, you know, they they haven't been healthy all year, but you know, with with Dame and CJ, I still like their potential with their front court when healthy to uh, make them better defensively than they've shown. They're, they're 27th in defense currently. But, you know, that's another team that I would not want to face come postseason. And the Miami Heat, you know, we just we just talked about, or, I mean, we, we just came off them making the NBA Finals. They, of course, have had a ton of injuries and have really underperformed so far. But uh, they're another team that if, uh, if they get healthy at the right time, maybe uh, they, they might need to add a piece to replace what they lost in Jay Crowder at the trade deadline or at the buyout time. But, you know, they're another team that I that I would be afraid of and, and wouldn't be shocked if they won a round or two. I mean, I, yeah, it's weird. I think with these teams, the only team to look at that I go, okay, could make some actual noise uh, or a team like the Suns, which we don't know, but they played really solid. A uh, team like the Nuggets who have done it before. And, yeah. That's my list. I mean, the Blazers, if they get healthy, but I mean, I'm looking at what I've seen so far, um, and with the last couple of years to look back, and I just don't see them getting any farther than that. Plus, after a certain point with all the injuries they've had, it's taking a lot more um, theoretical thinking to kind of get uh, the Blazers in 
Texans have just regressed in a major way. Uh, I just don't think they have it this year. Uh, I don't want to say the vibe is off. I think it just sounds kind of off in terms of basketball intangibles. But, like, aside from a strong season by Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker struggling to find his fit. Uh, Jason Tatum's already alluded to the fact that COVID may have had more of an impact on his uh, endurance so far than he imagined going in. The bench is pretty thin. That two-man lineup uh, of bigs of Daniel Tyson, um, Tristan Thompson's been kind of funky and, and clunky as well. I, I just don't see it there. Uh, we already kind of discussed the Raptors. The Mavericks, I, I guess that'd be the one team I'd look at uh, that, that I guess I might have to like really give some noise to maybe making some attention there. But as of right now, it just hasn't happened. And yeah, that's my kind of run through. Because the Spurs, like I said, a solid team, but I don't see them. I mean, if they get a good, tough first run out, I think that'll be great for them confidence-wise. But I don't know if I'm looking at them like, oh, you know, a couple things break right. Uh, like I did mention with the Raptors in the East, and they can make, you know, a second-round appearance. Right. Um, I'll, I'll just comment on a couple of teams you brought up there. The, the Denver Nuggets, you know, it's 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 really disappointing because watching this team, I, I keep thinking to myself, oh, man, especially with the way um, – now. Jeremy Grant wouldn't be playing the way he is in Detroit in Denver, but he he did certainly seem seemingly make a, another stride in in his overall play. And if the, this Denver Nuggets team just had Jeremy Grant, man oh man, would I I would put them in a in the title contender tier. But I just don't I don't see it for them. A lot of their additions, you know, Compazzo to me has been a little bit disappointing. He's just so small. I I was hopeful that uh, with with Millsap and. Uh, Michael Green out there. Uh, I was hoping that uh, you know, with with those two on the roster, I was hoping that they would be able to to put one of them as the backup center. But uh, Malone has played Hartenstein a bunch, and I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, Gary Harris has continued to struggle offensively, and he's been injured as of late. Uh, and Jamal Murray as well. You know, we uh, we we were wondering whether or not murray's performance in the bubble would translate to the regular season and he's kind of just been you know i think he's been slightly better than he was in the regular season last year but uh, still kind of a similar player he hasn't taken as big of a leap frankly i think uh in general this is a little bit of a tangent corbin but in general the guys that that had the great run in the bubble like a porzingis like a jamal murray like a donovan mitchell all of those guys seemingly were playing over their heads there and came back to earth for this regular season. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, the bubble, the bubble had far-reaching effects, and I think uh, hit the math, it hit the Nuggets hardest. I mean, even now you look at Nikola Jokic, and I mean, you know, you haven't really gotten the support that you really thought you were going to get coming into this year from a guy like Jamal Murray, and so as a result, you've had Nikola Jokic put up dominant performances, and the Nuggets still lose by double digits in several games. You know, and it's just. It's, it's not been there for them, so it's an unfortunate situation. But yeah, like you said, it just goes to show you that some of that, uh, you know, you got to take a little bit more of a sample size and maybe, you know, as electric as a two-month situation might be, it's not the end-all be-all. Yeah, so Denver, uh, I certainly could see them winning a round or two, but uh, I, I, I don't think they're good enough to, uh, to compete for a championship this season. Uh, the Boston Celtics, uh, I agree with a lot of what you were saying in terms of the you know they're they're just not as deep this year without Gordon Hayward. You know they especially you know losing Smart to injury it really shows you oh well that's where Hayward having him on this roster would be so huge because then he can step in and fill those minutes and you know you're not much worse off. Whereas now it's like oh man we've we've got to play two center lineups now pretty much all game, uh, or or you know you're playing rookies for for heavy minutes so. 
given given the, uh, the 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 roster, it's not a surprise that they're down to 14th on the offensive end. Uh, they, despite as you said, Jalen Brown's emergence and Jason Tatum continuing to put up All Star numbers, uh, you, you simply can't just play two centers that uh, aren't very good offensively and expect to be good on that end of the floor. It just doesn't work like <laughs> it doesn't that. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> something that two things that aren't sweet salt and pepper and make a great milkshake like no that's not that's not gonna happen so you (laughs) so so you said you had the suns in this category did you have the sixers here um no okay so i'm guessing we flipped those two so i'm i'm really uh, excited to talk about the these two teams so right now the sixers obviously have one of the best records in the nba but uh offensive rating 13th 10th in defensive rating. You look at the Phoenix Suns, they're 10th in offense and 6th in defense. So give me the give me the argument for why Philadelphia is in a higher tier when, you know, the Suns are better offensively, they're better defensively, they have a better point differential. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd like to hear your, your argument for that. I mean, it's pretty simple for me. I just, I, from the 76, the formula they have right now, I can see it's worked before, or it's, 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 it's gotten them a certain level of success. That for the Suns, up to this point, great. Uh, I mean, and they, 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 like you said, the numbers don't lie. They speak for themselves. At the same time, uh, after Chris Paul and Devin Booker, I am worried about who steps up consistently across the board. Right now, they've been getting production from uh, a bunch of different guys. But uh, DeAndre Ayton's had an uneven kind of year, in my opinion. Mikael Bridges has definitely kind of lost a little of the luster from the bubble last year. Um they're just kind of getting it across the board in different ways. I don't know how sustainable that is, especially when you're hitching your wagon to a Devin Booker who is going to more likely get his first real playoff experience this year. And a 35-year-old Chris Paul, who I love. He's the point guy, but at the same time, we've seen this story before. Um, so when I look at that, I'm trying to take out where I see both also not only where they are in their respective conferences, I can see the 76ers in a conference finals a lot easier than I can see the Phoenix Suns in any situation. I mean, even if the Suns play against a team like the Clippers and Lakers, I can see the 76ers taking over uh, a team at what? The Celtics, uh, the Raptors, the Nets at the very top. If it's the 76ers or the Bucks, I feel good about that. I feel a lot better about the 76ers and Bucks than I would with the Suns versus the Lakers or Clippers. And then that kind of what has me as a title challenger. I don't see the Suns getting that far enough to actually challenge for the title. Yeah, that's a fair point. You're you're looking at it much more from the perspective of the East is easier for the Sixers to get through than exactly. the, the yeah, West is. Honestly, if I had to compare both teams, I don't see that. Like, yeah, the numbers bear out for, in the Suns' favor right now, but I, I, I would put them in the same tier, in my own opinion. Um, I mean, they're both good, solid teams that on their floor, you know, are going to be a second, maybe a conference finals that, you know, at the absolute peak could contend for the finals. Like, both of them are there, but bottom line, yeah, I mean, the East is a lot more wide open than the West is. I think uh, two of my title favorites are locked in the West. You can't, like, supplant them for me. And, unfortunately, the Suns would be one of the ones that are not there. So, yeah, it kind of is more of a pragmatic, okay, look at the road to the finals, and if it's 76, you feel pretty good about your odds against any of the teams up there. Yes, even the Nets, where if you're the Suns, I mean, you feel good. I don't know how good, you know? Yeah, I guess the the reason I have the Suns in the title contender tier and, and the Sixers in the dangerous playoff teams is is mainly just because I think uh, the Sixers are very much matchup dependent. You know, if if their opponent has a guy that they can throw at Joel and B to slow him down, the Sixers just offensively are not going to be good enough to me. But what what team in the East has that? 
because Brooke Lopez am I the only one that comes to mind, and I I like Joel Embiid now. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess when I'm thinking title contenders, I'm also considering them having to win the NBA Finals as well. So, oh, I mean, okay, so even then, like if you're taking the Lakers, I guess you have AD and 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 and, and Marcus All. Marcus All, you know, in the past has been good. The Clippers, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, unless you want to hit your wagon to Serge Ibaka and Avicii Zubac. I mean, Serge Ibaka will perform capably, but again, I would give the edge to him beating that matchup as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Gasol. I mean, we saw Gasol do a really good job against uh, against Embiid in that series a couple of years ago, that, that Raptors-Sixers series. Um, and, yeah, and, historically, uh, Well, and, and right now I would say the Lakers are the, well, well we're, we're getting into spoiler territory, but the Lakers are in my title favorites tier. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that'd be my one worry, I'm not going to lie. Marc Gasol, and, and we can kind of talk about a little bit later, um, historically speaking, Gasol has had his you know, he's been very good against Embiid. Um, but I did pay a particular attention to that matchup against Embiid this past year. Um, and it, it, I don't even think it's Gasol uh, in terms of, I just think it's it, Gasol's age has caught up to him in, in comparison to where Joel Embiid is now. And yeah, I don't want to take up too much uh, sample size in one game, but like Gasol was barely on the floor. And not because he didn't want to be. Like just foul trouble. You know what I mean? Like it, it looked like, it, it just, it looked like Joel Embiid was way too fast. It felt like it finally caught up to him. You know what I mean? And maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, if I'm taking that, maybe I'm still taking uh, Gasol. By the end of the day, I mean, it wasn't like Gasol was going to be the beat stopper forever. And at 35, I think, and seeing kind of the way he's moved as of now, I think maybe we're seeing a little shifting of the gears here. But uh, like you said, we got to get to that a little later. That's that's where I'm at with the 76ers. I think if you shift the 76ers to like a team against the Lakers or a team against the Clippers, that you give the advantage to Embiid, but then you worry about the other players, namely Ben Simmons and the ancillary pieces around him. Yeah, um, the uh, you might be right though that given the the lack of, of of talented centers in the Eastern Conference, you know Lopez has good size. Uh, we'll see how he can ha- could potentially handle Embiid in a playoff series. Uh, but uh, you know there is a chance that Embiid just gets three pretty good matchups and gets out of and the Sixers just get out of the East because no one can stop him. But I'm also I'm also concerned as far as like when Embiid is off the floor, what do the Sixers do offensively in a playoff series? You know, so far in the regular season, we've seen a lot of Tobias Harris as the primary initiator with second units. I trust that in the regular season. I don't trust that in the playoffs. Whereas you know you look at the Phoenix Suns and they're a team that for all 48 minutes they've got. Chris Paul or Devin Booker running the show, I trust that in the postseason. And also, you know, I think something that's a little underrated about the Phoenix Suns, you mentioned uh, Mikel Bridges. He's having an excellent season, shooting the ball really well. He's made a big leap offensively, and then he's also a really solid defensive player. They've also got Jay Crowder for the types of wings like a LeBron James or a Kawhi Leonard that are a little more of the physical bruising type. So I think, you know, Phoenix can match up pretty well with just about anybody. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know. I think Jay Crowder is a future fan. Um, I think he's good enough to kind of stay in front of guys, but I mean, we saw last year's finals. So I'm not totally taking, like, okay, great, like, a six-game series. I mean, I'm not looking at him at all as a stopper. Uh, you're looking at someone who can hang with them. I mean, I guess I'd be more comfortable with him on LeBron or Kawhi than someone like, uh, let's say, like a KCP or a Josh Richardson. But, and maybe the t- and maybe feel comfortable with the tandem of him and Bridges. Uh, I think I don't know. I'm just not. Then I don't know. I, it's weird. I'm not on 
it's just a really rickety train for me. I think in theory, if it was 2K, I was really good about Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And the way Devin Booker has been playing so far, great. But, like, are we just going to discount the fact this will be his first playoff environment, like, at all? And, yeah, as much as you can talk about, you know, having guys who've been there alongside him, this is indeed a leap. It will indeed be a leap. And I'm just not sold on the fact that Devin Booker just comes in and continues cooking like he has. I mean, unless you see, like, a Luka-type thing, and I, I guess it's possible. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I, I'm just saying I have some reservation about that. I do want to see how Chris Paul bears out over the rest of the season because that can always be an issue. And after that, I mean, the Suns bench, I don't know. you asking guys like Mikel Bridges, who's had, like said, a strong season to step up and be those guys. I don't see that. I don't see that at all. I mean, you're looking at guys who historically have not been in this situation who would have the impressive situation if one of those two guys were down or had the majority of attention on them. And I, I right now at least, it's not working out for me. Regular season, great, but I don't see that ceiling for some of these guys yet. And so maybe that's my trepidation when it comes to Phoenix. I've got I've got no concerns about Devin Booker in the playoffs. Uh, you know, for me, the the big issue for a lot of guys when they have that uh, you know severe drop in efficiency, like a Demar Derozan, for instance, from regular season to postseason, is they just have weaknesses in their offensive game. You know, Derozan obviously can't shoot threes. Uh, you know, but but Booker is a complete all-around offensive talent. He can he can score in all three areas. He can go right or left and finish at the rim. Uh, he is you know he's got moves and counter moves. Uh, yeah, I, I have no concerns about Booker. But uh, you know, I, I I'm talking up the Suns and kind of talking down the Sixers. But I, I wanted to have this discussion with you because I think it's really close. I, I had a hard time differentiating these two teams and the Sixers have been really fun and, and I think Doc Rivers has done a good job of uh, you know I, I mentioned the whole Tobias Harris sort of running the second units I, I thought that was a great move uh, for this team and, and kind of keep Ben Simmons and Embiid on the floor at the same time uh, because the whole Ben Simmons Dwight Howard combination I think just doesn't work that well because Dwight is a they're both just uh, such non-shooters. Uh, but what Doc has done with Seth Curry, I think Curry has brought what this team has been missing the last couple of years after Redick left, where he's a guy that can come off of screens. You know that those dribble handoff actions that Embiid and Redick were so good at, we're starting to see some more of that with uh, with Embiid and Curry. So uh, Danny Green has uh, has seemed rejuvenated on the defensive end this year as well. He's uh, he's continued to make plays and. Uh, they they continue to be a team just with with great size, and I think in a in a playoff series, a seven game series, they're certainly going to be difficult to score on. So I, I like both of these teams. I I, uh, I I knew you were going to uh, to to pick Philadelphia over Phoenix, so I, I thought it would be fun to kind of have this debate. You know me so well, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, as far as title contenders, uh, so you had Philadelphia in this tier. Who else did you have? Uh, so as long as I Philadelphia, I had the Bucks and the Jazz. Oh, okay. So we've got a different team in our title favorites category. So I've got this. I've got the same amount of teams in my title contenders. I had the Suns, I had the Jazz, and I had the Nets. Wow! Wow! Wait, 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 wait. So wait, what team do we? Oh, so you don't have the Nets? Oh, you have the Bucks at the title favorites? Yes. Okay, if you would please explain yourself there. I mean, it's not a far reach, but I, I, I don't know. I've been, especially as, I, I mean, you've seen their last couple of games. I mean, as of late, I've, uh, let me get your reasoning here. I'm, I'm intrigued because I think that they could be there. Like I said, I don't think it's a hop, skip, and a jump of a, of a reach, 
but uh, that's, they don't come to mind immediately like that. So, you know, a lot of people have been really concerned about their their defensive slide they've had this year. Of course, they've been the that's best right. defense in the NBA the last couple of years, and, and this year they're 14th. Um, but, you know, they've been even better offensively than they've been in years past. And a big part of that is, you know, replacing Eric Bledsoe with Drew Holiday. Uh, You know, Chris Middleton, I think, has taken another mini leap as a playmaker, which I think could be crucial come playoff time. Uh, They've they've focused more on Giannis being a screener, which I think, again, is going to be something that is much more effective in the postseason against locked-in defenses than him just going one-on-five with four guys spreading the floor. Um, you know, they, they've also got a, a lot more shooting on this team. You know, DiVincenzo has made a leap from three. Uh, Connaughton has. You know, they've got DJ Augustine and Forbes off the bench that can really shoot the basketball. So, you know, I just trust this team in a seven-game playoff series against locked-in defenses. I trust the Bucks a lot more on the offensive end. And... Frankly, you know, despite the fact that they're more an average defense this year, they've still got, you know, Holiday, DiVincenzo, Giannis, Lopez, Middleton, all their, their whole starting lineup are all probably above average defenders. So when they get an opportunity to lock in on opponent sets, to, to get uh, lock in on player tendencies and that sort of thing, that I think it's a little bit easier come postseason to ramp up your defense a little bit than it is to ramp up an, an offense. That's, I mean, it's interesting. Um, they do have some solid defenders. I, I just don't know if, I mean, I'm, if I'm still putting that against Brooklyn, I think that yields fun games for sure. Um, I don't think I see them. I don't know. I think that there's limits to that, the, high, the, the firepower that they have to defend. Um, and I think that you still, I'm worried about Giannis's offensive game. Uh, not around the rim, just literally everywhere else. Um, and then also, I mean, I've, you fooled me once in the playoffs. You know, shame on me. Yeah, I'm not getting fooled again. Um, but I, again, I, I'll, I'll let me cut in here real quick. As far as the reasons they've struggled offensively in the playoffs, to me, are, have been a couple of things. One, they've they've underperformed as, as far as shooting from three. They've shot poorly from downtown in in both of the last couple of playoff runs. They're a lot better shooting team this season, not only from internal development, but from their their roster construction. And then also, the other big issue was that their offense was kind of stale and predictable with Giannis just dribbling and, and uh, you know, um, running into the teeth of the defense and, and kicking it out to, to shooters. But this year, they have a lot more variety with their offense because Middleton has taken that leap. He's handling it more. Drew Holiday is another secondary creator that I think is pretty solid. And, and yeah, using Giannis as a screen man uh, is, is really deadly. So, yeah, I think the, the issues they've had in the playoffs in the past, I think, uh, you know, they've resolved some of those from what I've seen. Okay. I mean, I, I kind of disagree. I think that, I mean, the, again, the versatility, a lot of it is, yeah, I mean, the, the shooting uh, especially is an issue for me because a lot of the internal development, especially from a guy like DiVincenzo, who's looked a lot better shooting the three, um, other guys as well, some of your better shooters coming off the bench are not some of your hallmarks for the defense. You're not going to have both of those at the same time. And if you're going to go just off the top five, eh, adequate. I mean, I mean, you're getting good shooting across the board, but I don't know if I'm going to say at a sustainable level because in the playoffs, I mean, they shot pretty decent in the regular season last year from three, and then the playoffs fell apart. Mind you, uh, I don't think they did. I think they the the last couple of years they they made a lot of threes, but they didn't shoot great percentage wise. Uh, okay, I mean, I get that. I just don't see that all of a sudden magically disappearing because now you have better shooters. If I just think that the same type of flaws that happened, they 
garbage time and turn the offense to uh, Mendelssohn and Holiday. Uh, you're gonna, I mean, your positions when you have teams that can scheme for Milwaukee, I think you can definitely still scheme for them. Um, better shooters and all. And so that, at the end of the day, for me, is an issue. I mean, Milwaukee, Milwaukee and Brooklyn is kind of a toss-up, uh, especially since Brooklyn they know doesn't have defense. Good, thank goodness there's no uh, D, D in their name. I can't make a joke about it. So that's been like the, the weirdest one for me. By the end of the day, um, I, I took I look at it this way. You have your big three with Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. If you're Milwaukee, who are you putting on where? Well, I mean, they've got <laughs> they've got good yeah. defenders to throw at those guys. They've got they've got Drew Holiday and DiVincenzo to throw at uh, at at Kyrie and Harden. They've got uh, they've got Giannis and uh, as well as uh, Tory Craig to throw at KD. Only problem is KD's gonna eat both of those guys. Um, KD's actually already done it several times to Holiday. Well, K- KD eats against everybody, Corman. But, uh, but hey, um, what, I'm trying to, what I mean is that you're, gonna, you're bringing alongside guys like Harden and Kyrie. I mean, you can say Kyrie doesn't eat against everyone, but Harden has had great games against the Bucks while on his own. Now you're bringing all these guys. You have serviceable defenders against all world offensive players. I mean, okay, let's not let me not serviceable uh, take Holiday down. Uh, with the exception of Drew Holiday, I mean. I'm not putting Dante DiVincenzo as a as a all world defender against a Kyrie and a James Harden. No. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's you know, DiVincenzo isn't DiVincenzo isn't all defensive level like Holiday, but he's above average for sure. You're above average against offensive superstars. I'm giving I'm giving the edge to them every day. I mean, I get what you're coming from. Like, if you look at it, you you give Giannis defense, right? You give Brook Lopez room protection. You have Holiday, right? These other guys can hold their own. Middleton, DiVincenzo. That's good. If you take out Brooklyn, if you take out the exception of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, what are you looking at? Like, what, uh, Let's just say we're not talking about guys who are probably ineffective at this point. You're looking at DeAndre Jordan. And I'm trying to remember the other guy. Okay, Jeff Green maybe, right? I think that's a watch. But I think that we are discounting how good the offensive firepower is in Brooklyn for, yes, granted, good defenders in Milwaukee. I said what I said about, you know, um, you got some above-average defenders with the exception of Drew Holiday and Giannis. And I'm sorry, against guys like this, uh, I mean, yeah, Brooklyn could implode, and their defense is going to be horrible, so maybe Milwaukee will score at ease. Well, not maybe. They're going to. Um, but at the end of the day, I, 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 can't, I just can't put it in my head right now. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the thing for me is, uh, you know, how do the Nets defend the Bucks? Uh, and you know, to to speak to the you know, I mentioned you you were saying that you didn't think the Bucks were shooting much better than they have in years past. Here's a stat for you: the the last two years, the Bucks shot thirty five point nine percent and thirty five point seven percent from three, which was twentieth and sixteenth in the NBA respectively. This year, they're shooting forty point three percent, which is third in the NBA. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, but uh, you know. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, with Milwaukee sitting at second in offense, 14th in defense, in a playoff series, I could see them being, you know, again, top 10 on both ends of the floor in terms of offensive and defensive efficiency. The Nets, I still don't see any world where, yeah, they could be the best offense in the playoffs, but I don't see any world how they're stopping anyone defensively. And if you're if you're talking about, like, being a title favorite, to me, if you're... If you're twentieth or worst on either end of the floor, you're not you're not in the favorite category. That makes sense. I, I guess I would only bring you to one squad. Um, 
the 2017 Cleveland Cavaliers? You already know. You already know. Now, granted, LeBron James is LeBron James. But if you look at that roster, and, I mean, we looked at them then, and you look at them now, they still know. No, there were just so many issues across the board. I can see a world, especially in the East, where the offense is so potent. I would say, arguably, well, I don't even think it's arguably. I would say that the Nets' offense is way higher than you even had the Cavs back then with LeBron James, Kyrie, and um, Kevin Love. So if you're bringing that into play, I mean, yeah, defensively, you're right. The defense there, what the Cavs, uh, they finished, looking at the defensive rating, they finished 21st, which, I mean, obviously, I mean, it was probably worse than that at points. But the point being, the offense is so much more explosive in Brooklyn that, yes, they will have to play defense at points. Yes, it's going to be high school affairs either way. But you just, at the end of the day, just have so much firepower on one end of the floor. It's, it's overwhelming. I mean, each of these guys individually, I just, I don't see in a situation where KD doesn't just, like you said, go off. You know, Kyrie, um, James Harden. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm into the hype of them, but as I've been, and it's not even that, because I wasn't even into the hype when they first came. I didn't know how they were going to mesh together. But having seen, especially when you have Harden playing the point guard role and Kyrie just being free on the two guard to score, which, I mean, honestly, those both are just interchangeable there. I, I can see a world where, yeah, do I see them winning it all? No, I think the defense is going to catch up to them. I do not think it's going to be in the East. Interesting. Yeah, it's... Um... The, the comparison to the 2017 Cavs is a good one. I guess my counter to that would be that I, I still think the Cavs had more defensive talent on that roster than this Nets team does. Um, and and I think a, a big part of why that Cavs defense was, was kind of poor was just that they, you know, had won the championship the year before and they were kind of coasting. Uh, whereas that, I don't think that's the case with this brand new Nets team. I don't think they're coasting at this stage having won nothing. I get you. My only counterpoint would be they tried to turn on the playoffs because of the word was, oh, you know, they can get down, they have the championship mentality, and when we saw how that worked out. Like, <laughs> and not even before they got to the finals. Like, it wasn't like they were, they didn't, they, that never happened. You know what I mean? So yeah. I get you on that end, but the same thing, I think that they thought they had a gear they just didn't have, and I think they just didn't have the gear because they didn't have good defenders. Like, you had some guys there, but they were like, oh, we've done this before. And it's like, well, granted, you know, you have other guys taking up more minutes. I mean, you had Derek Williams and, and, and guys like that. Derek, Darren Williams and Derek Williams. I forgot the Williams game back then. But the other guys who were taking on minutes that, I mean, Kyle Horvath was getting a lot of minutes. I mean, guys that just weren't good defenders, that weren't exactly there the year before either, that were stepping up to take a roles. Along with, like you said, a, a Coastal LeBron who stepped up too late, and other guys in Kevin Love and Kyrie who, I mean, they're Kevin Love and Kyrie defensively. I don't really know what else to say there. Yeah, I've got the Nets in the title contender tier, so yes, I, I still think they could. I could see them winning it all. <laughs> you know, it's not uh, the yeah, the the differences between that and essentially the favorites is like if I had to pick right now in a series, Bucks Nets, I'd probably go Bucks as the rosters are currently constituted. But you know, the Nets could still make a move that could change things at the deadline uh, or through the buyout market. You know, if, if they add another wing or they add, uh, you know, if they get a little bit better at the center position, I certainly might change my feelings on that. But, uh, yeah, the, the only other team that we both have in the, in the title contender tier, right, is the, is the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, a lot of this, when it came down to the Bucks, the Jazz, they look really good right now. And I, 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 I'm hard pressed to go, well, they're different now. Things have changed. And, I mean, I've seen how they look before, and I just want to see. With the Jazz, I think it's just a matchup against teams that have given them problems already. I mean, well, the Rockets are no longer there, uh, at least as currently constructed, but I still would like to see the Clippers, and I still would like to see the Lakers. Uh, and the Lakers are even different. 
are a whole new element because last year, I mean, the, the Jazz had like a AD problem for certain, but they also just had a size problem. Like the Lakers were just able to overwhelm them with sheer size, which they've gotten smaller. The Lakers have. Um, I mean, all, all all things considered, you had Javale McGee, you had Dwight Howard, you had AD, and now you have you know. Marcus all in AD and Montrose Howard getting some minutes. After that, you're going Marquis Morris and, and other guys like that. So I, I do want to see how it is. Also, I mean, the 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 Jazz have fundamentally just shifted the way they've played. Um, offensively, they're bombing threes. They're looking more just crazy offensively. And that's without having Mike Conley and others for stretches as well. So I, I guess I'm at like a wait and see type mode. I don't feel comfortable putting them as title favorites right now, even with the record they have. But I don't think I'll put them any lower than that either. Yeah, Jazz with a plus 12.4 net rating, which is best in the NBA. But yeah, I've also got them in the title contender category. Uh, And yeah, the the concern with the Jazz matchup against the Lakers essentially is, yeah, if the Lakers go with 80 at the 5 and LeBron at the 4, what do they do? Because the Jazz obviously don't want to switch like, you know, that too much, uh, especially because they've got uh, Bogdanovich playing the four and you know if you switch that uh, LeBron AD pick and roll all of a sudden you've got Bogdanovich on AD on the block which is a concern um, yeah, just, just a little bit. Uh, so so yeah but but the way the Jazz are playing I, I'm more you know obviously Rudy Gobert being a defensive player of the year candidate which is uh, was my prediction in our uh, preseason prediction pod which I'm feeling pretty good about at this stage um, you know that's not that big of a surprise, and to me, that doesn't make me feel any better about their playoff chances. Although I think their their defensive play in the playoffs has been a bit underrated. I think they've been pretty decent on that end, and even in those series losses to Houston and, and James Harden, they did a pretty good job. They just couldn't score against the Rockets in those series. Um, the the thing I'm I'm pretty uh, impressed by and what uh, what makes me feel a little more confident about them come postseason is the offensive play and the fact that Mike Conley seems fully acclimated to playing with Rudy Gobert in the pick and roll and throwing those lobs and his floater is is uh, is falling again. He's playing like prime Mike Conley, which is which is big. Donovan Mitchell, you know, hasn't made a big leap this year. But the, the small incremental improvements he's made in his playmaking, I think, have been pretty big. You know, I think he's he's hitting guys a split second faster on those, you know, those cross court, those skip passes that that just free up that drive and kick game. And, and all of these role players, the, the Joe Ingles, the Royce O'Neals, the Bogdanoviches, the Jordan Clarksons, they're all shooting 40% from three. They all can take the ball, shot fake, go off the dribble and, and keep the ball movement going. Uh, and, and, you know, Derek Favors also gives the Jazz, uh, you know, more insurance in the event of a Gobert injury or Gobert foul trouble. But they're, they're always, they always have a defensive anchor. So, yeah, I, I really love this team. It's just a matter of they're, they're in a conference where the, the Lakers and Clippers are, are also uh, yeah, a part of it. Yeah, that little slight misfortune there. Yeah, so let's, let's get to, unless you had anything else to say about the Jazz, let's get to the, the L.A. teams. No, let's do it. I'm ready. So again, just to just to clarify, my title favorites, I have the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks in that order. Um, okay. And you I had know. what the Lakers, Clippers, and Nets? Yep, in that order. Okay, perfect. Um, so the Lakers sitting at eleventh uh, in offense, first in defense. The Clippers first in offense, sixteenth in defense. And it's funny, Corbin, you brought up the the comparing the the Brooklyn Nets to the 2017 Cavaliers. How about comparing the team that has the same coach 
as the 2017 Cleveland Cavaliers. The Los Angeles Clippers have a very similar profile to that 2017 Cavs team. First in offense, 16th in defense. Uh, they they just seem unstoppable with, with Kawhi and PG just playing brilliant basketball. Yeah, they do. And it's honestly, I mean, yeah, they've had some, and some of the pieces step up as well. But those two, they work well together. I mean, and they, and they really have. Paul George started the season just shooting electric from the field. And yeah, some minor injuries have come up. A leg contusion for Kawhi, a toe injury for Paul George has caused them this last couple of games. But when those two are on the floor together, it's devastating. I mean, as far as two-way ability, uh, ball creation, the strides that Kawhi's made on his floor game, in addition to his devastating scoring, what we've seen from Paul George uh, in, in just in this whole season so far, yeah, these guys are great. And you're getting, of course, you know, Pat Beverly was getting back into health. The, the, the team hadn't even reached its final iteration. Even the Williams, who started off rather kind of slow from the start, is starting to round into form and has had a little um, of the last couple of games while Kawhi and Paul George have been out to really find a stride back. So you look at this Clippers team, and yeah, they're really getting there. And, you know, I think the defensive um, rating will kind of show up as they all play more. Uh, like I said, you've had key pieces in and out, uh, even through some of this going on so far. So, yeah, I mean, you're still trying to, I mean, you had Marcus Morris out, other guys as well. Uh, and I think once you get more of uh, stability there, yeah, we're definitely going to see this uh, solidify for the Clippers. Yeah, their their new acquisitions and Ibaka and Batum have been great. I, I I've thought so far, and uh, yeah, Ty Lue in general, I think as a as a regular season coach is excellent as an offensive uh, mind, but you know, kind of mediocre as a defensive coach. I think his teams have always overperformed offensively and underperformed defensively in the regular season. But as you mentioned, with some of those Cavs teams that he coached. They were able to pick it up defensively in the postseason, and I think, again, with just the defensive talent that this team has, they're going to be able to do it. So I, I think the Clippers are right neck and neck with the Lakers. I'm giving the Lakers the, the slight edge as of now because, you know, they are the defending champions, and I, I trust LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, there, there are a little bit of concerns about, uh, you know, one, the Lakers offense sitting at 11th right now, and then also, you know, the, the AD issues with his, uh, with that uh, tendinopathy. Yeah, and, the, and those are very real issues. Also, I've been worried that Marcus Gasol still hasn't kind of found his way with the Lakers so far. Um, offensively, just kind of looks out of it. They've kind of centered him as a hub, making key passes from, like, the nail and, and, and kind of being there. But as someone who, with the passing mind and, and IQ that uh, Gasol has, it's a shame that I don't think he's being utilized any more than that. As a guy to, oh, we're in a pickle, let's pass the ball to Gasol and cut. You know, like, I think he can be utilized in so many more effective ways than he is for his 20-minute stint. Um, and alongside of that, I mean, some of this will be worked out itself with AD being out, but you had some slight kind of grumbling around the edges of guys like Wesley Matthews and guys like, well, I don't want to say grumbling, but guys like Wesley Matthews and guys like Marquise Morris, who at least made it known that, hey, you know, we're being professional, but, like, obviously they expect to play more minutes than they weren't. And there's been a rotation that uh, Frank Vogel's still trying to sort out and figure out, but you have a lot of guys who are technically capable of playing these minutes um, and not being utilized in their right role, you know, or, or not being utilized in the role that they either expected or coming in. And that's something that the Lakers definitely have to resolve as well. Um, you know, whether that is the inclusion of Dennis Schroeder starting live and how that shifts everything around and, you know, who comes off the bench. It's just, it's just a weird kind of lineup so far. And you had a lackluster start for AD, um, definitely by his standards, but still rather relatively lackluster. And I think those have been like my minor concerns, but at the end of the day, I mean, it is the same duo that got them the championship last year. Uh, LeBron James still playing MVP caliber. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what I think is uh, cements them. They, they haven't had a compelling enough reason to be knocked off the top, and that's why they're still there. 
Yeah, the guy that's really impressed me for the Lakers and, and a guy that, uh, you know, he, he's not a great shooter, but he's he's shown a lot as a slasher, a transition guy, a defensive playmaker, is Taylor Horton Tucker. Yeah, uh, he really has meshed so well. Uh, he has, uh, you know, basically supplanted Wesley Matthews in the rotation and, you know, hasn't given it up. And he's a guy that I think, again, in a playoff series, the Lakers already have a ton of size, but with his long arms and length, uh, just gives them another guy to throw at, you know, the likes of a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George that that could make a difference. So he's another he's a he's a big development in this on that Lakers team. But uh, yeah, you know, looking forward to you know I, I do this every year where I think oh man the Western Conference playoffs are going to be amazing and then it feels like most years just injuries ruin it all. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know. Um, Lakers, Clippers, a potential matchup. You know, you've got the Jazz, the Suns, the Blazers, the Mavericks, the Nuggets. I mean, this could be an absolutely uh, just fascinating Western Conference playoff season. It really could. And you're right, depending on how things shake out, you have to hope, obviously, the health is number one concern, whether that be an injury or COVID-related, um, and that you get these guys as, as healthy and, and, and to the fullest on the extent possible as far as the perfect iteration of their team that they can be for these matchups because there's a lot of tantalizing ones looking for. I want to see just how far this Jazz team can go and who would be their Achilles heel here as well and why is it the Clippers? No, I'm playing, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, you're right. Like, again, the Western Conference has rather felt anticlimactic in years past. Um, there's a chance for that to be different here and we just have to hope things hold true. I didn't even mention the Warriors. I think it would be fun to see Steph and Draymond in the playoffs again, maybe as the eighth seed taking on one of the, you know, imagine Warriors Jazz. I, I would be uh, I, I would be excited to see that series. But yeah, it should be Yeah, it should be it should be a lot of fun, but uh, Corbin, we've uh, we've talked for for close to 2 hours at this point on the tears. Thank you so much for for taking the time and uh, we're we're again a little over a third through this NBA season. It's already been a, a blast watching these games, and uh, I'm sure I can speak for the both of us when I say uh, you know we're we're excited to see the rest. And, and the All Star break is coming up uh, quite soon. Yeah, oh, I'm definitely excited. Thanks for having me. As always, man. You know, every time we get together, it's a fun one. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review preferably five stars, and uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you'd like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be... uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine including soccer and film and television so uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week you can find me there you can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at Corbin NBA that's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A so uh, he uh, he does a does a good job on Twitter as well he's very active I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please 
I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or... Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.